We're so excited to bring this episode to you from the Writing Heights Writers Conference 2023. We've stolen away some of our excellent presenters from classes, intensives, and maybe even the restaurant. We're looking forward to sharing their knowledge with you. Hello, and welcome to The Writing Forge, where we discuss tips and tricks for honing your writing. I'm Bonnie. I'm Miranda. And we're your hosts. Let's Let's get get into it. it. Welcome back, everyone. We're excited to be here with Cat Falls today. Welcome, Cat. Hi. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to to be in Denver, in Colorado. Yes. Fort Collins. Yeah, close enough. Um, we're going to talk about antagonists in a bit, but first we would like you to introduce yourself, how, how you came to be where you are in the writing world today. Okay. <laughs> um, I write science fiction for tweens and teens. Uh, I started by getting an MFA in screenwriting. That's my background. And when I made the crossover to middle grade fiction was my first book, Dark Life, it was because I based it on interests that my son had at 12. And so I took those interests and combined them into a story idea and thought, I'm going to try writing it as middle grade fiction since it was aimed at him. But I had read enough middle grade fiction aloud to my kids that I knew what it looked like. I knew it felt like a screenplay. It's very external, very Hmm. action oriented. So I did. I wrote it and as a book and Scholastic bought it and as a two book deal and then Disney took the rights, although I think it's in a vault somewhere at this point. (laughs) That unfortunately happens a lot. So that was my writing journey. I love writing fiction. I love writing prose and don't think I'll go back to screenwriting, although I still teach it. Oh yeah? Yeah, in Northwestern. Nice. Now I wish we were talking about screenwriting, but we're gonna talk, (laughs) we'll stick with talking about antagonists. You looked like you antagonists were to... are a part of screen. Well, that's true too. <laughs> Big part. Yes. Storytelling is storytelling, yes, no true. matter the form. Yeah. So first, let's talk. Let's just let's define antagonist, and we can maybe talk about like antagonist versus villain. You know, there there is a difference. There is indeed, although a villain is an antagonist. Yeah. An antagonist isn't necessarily a villain. Um, an antagonist is a narrative element. It is. It serves a plot purpose. It is the character that puts pressure on the protagonist and keeps the protagonist from easily achieving their goal and hopefully also compels the reader and uh, is able to so challenge the protagonist in many ways, not just one way. You want to figure it psychologically, spiritually, physically, all of it and is so perfectly aligned with that protagonist as the immovable force, immovable object, I guess it is, um, that they force the protagonist to grow and change. Yeah, I really like that because this maybe sounds bad, but like parents sometimes are the best antagonists. because Absolutely. Because they're, they're interesting because it's not like they hate the protagonist. You know, off, usually they love them. It's just that they have different goals. And, and, and they want what they perceive as right. the best for their kids. Right. And yet they can be some of the most fierce yeah. antagonists. And sometimes they're right, which right, always makes which for interesting awesome. stories with yes. coming-of-age stories, mm-hmm. say, that oh, watching man. it, you understand why the parent feels that way. Right. 
Or any antagonist. If, yeah. Like, the best antagonists, I feel, speak a truth. Mm-hmm. Like, it's usually a dark truth, but it's it, it can be truth nonetheless. And those are the ones that I find the most compelling because it's just like, yeah, oof. <laughs> like, you might have a point. <laughs> so. And as a writer, you should be able to get into the antagonist's mindset and at least be able to defend their point of view. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, the whole uh, every villain is the hero of their own story. Yes. Thing. And I always... and I always I just kind of want to make a quick aside that there are also antagonistic forces I know we're oh, talking about mm. antagonists as, as, a, person as a person yeah today, that's a good point but there are also antagonistic forces which uh, is like man versus nature man versus self right um, isn't there man versus society or something is that one of them it yeah be. it is but you if should. you are going to do that, you want to have society, especially if it's a fascist or dystopian have society, a have yeah, a that's face. A good point. Because we as humans don't so. do well with concepts, yeah. <laughs> vague concepts. So if you're doing World War II, it's not that we're fighting fascism, it's we're fighting Nazis. Right. And yeah. hopefully you have a particular Nazi or Hitler right. speaking the point of view of the antagonist force. Right. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's good to be specific. So we're already into kind of our next question, which was what makes a good antagonist? I, I really liked, I took this question that you from your class that you're teaching at the conference, Cat. but uh, how do you create an antagonist who propels the story forward and forces your protagonist to change while fascinating the readers? So that's like three hefty things yes. that you want to have Big a protagonist lift. do. Yeah. The place to start is with your protagonist. You need to know exactly what it is your protagonist wants, their goal, so that you can figure out quite clearly who stands in the way of that. And... Once you find that out, you, as an author, are deciding why. Why does the antagonist stand in the way? It shouldn't just be a random reason. There should be a good, compelling reason that they do not want to see the protagonist achieve the goal. And what makes an effective antagonist is one that can put blocks in the way of the protagonist many ways and throughout the narrative to the point where the protagonist doesn't achieve the goal or changes their mind about the goal until the end, until act three. Uh, How you go about achieving a really (laughs) compelling antagonist is they have to have a life of their own. They have to be dimensional. They have to not be one note in the sense they have a dominant trait and that's the only trait you play over and over again, whether it's manipulative or narcissistic. They have to have more to them than that. Um, They have to have a reason for believing what they believe. Even if they don't give the antagonist monologue anywhere of why they're doing what they're doing, we need to have some inkling. And actually leaving it somewhat mysterious is always engaging because we start filling in from clues we're given of why they do what they do. Uh, Other things is... They, it helps if they have skills and resources much greater than the protagonist. So you're setting up a David and Goliath thing because it makes it a harder reach for the protagonist and it's exciting to watch. I would also give them more experience, more status, and certainly more allies or minions or right-hand man type um, person, the dragon as they call them. Right, definitely. What are some of your guys' favorite antagonists? Mm. Like what would have been some of your favorite villains, villainesses throughout the years? I love villains. Villains <laughs> are their own flavor. Antagonists are interesting, especially when they are 
coming with two different worldviews that are clashing, but both worldviews are valid. Right. Those are always interesting to me, and they're contemporary dramas that you see. But if you're going villain, villain is just delicious and fun, <laughs> yeah. and they come in so many flavors, and I like them all, whether it is someone who is a narcissist and has to suck up all the resources or love and attention and feels like they're going to die if they don't get everything the way they want it, or if they are Machiavellian where they have to constantly be playing the board and strategizing like a master chessman pen, but they have to dominate their sphere of influence. Um, Game of Thrones has so many great villains that slot into these different types, and it's fun to read the tropes also. Do you have a favorite? Uh, I have I have some examples that I have enjoyed. I don't know if I sure, have... You, you don't have to... I'm not I'm going to hold you to this, Miranda. I'm not going to hold you in a year and be like, but favorite. you said... You, you might not, but the internet might. Well, if that's we, true. <laughs> you said that this yeah, was your it's favorite. it's true. It's true. So I'm going to go specifically with season one, of Once Upon a Time, mm. Rumpelstiltskin, <gasps> I love and uh, Queen Regina, mm-hmm. because those two playing off of each other, trying to get in each other's way, and the poor heroes getting caught in the middle, that whole dynamic was just delicious. And I had never seen it quite like that before. Um, I'm not going to talk about beyond that because <laughs> I, I will say I kind of lost interest in the show, but season one was fantastic. I think I got to season three. They're so, those two in particular are so multidimensional. Right. They almost are anti-heroes yeah, where they're definitely. so gray, especially mm-hmm. Rumpelstiltskin, where yes, he is blocking people right and left, but he's just so delightful about it (laughs) that you kind of wish he were the star of the show. Um, And forgive the swear, I I saw a YouTube video by Overly Sarcastic Productions. She was talking about a specific flavor of Mm. villain, which is always my favorite, and she called them the Magnificent Bastards. Yeah, I love that one too. (laughs) That's from the TV tropes. Yes, Mm. and they're, they're always like... They're always fabulous. They're always Machiavellian. I see. And they're always... Well-spoken. Yes. Mm. They, they Choose some scenery. They attract big-name actors when you have a role like that. Because yeah. who wouldn't want to be a magnificent bastard? <laughs> that sounds pretty good. So that's... We need to write them for women. Ah, we do. That, yes, that is yes. something that I would like to do at some point is... That's your homework, Miranda. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it needs to go on the list, but... Yes. <laughs> Many. Miranda Priestley, kind of, Devil Wears Prada, yes. kind yeah, of fulfills that. Yeah. I was trying to think who has great hair and <laughs> sharp tongue. Who fits that? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a good point. I had just um, a random question when you guys were talking about this and kind of when you brought up Once Upon a Time, but like, can you have a villain who's different from an antagonist can I, I kind of, cause I kind of feel like I, I was trying so. to remember someone was, was explaining um, like breaking down. I think it was dark Knight and saying like, you think that Joker is the antagonist, but he isn't actually, he's the villain and Harvey Dent is the antagonist. I think, mm-hmm. If I'm remembering correctly. That's the mastermind behind yeah. it. And that happens a lot when you're trying to hide who the true antagonist is and you have their right hand man person, uh, their enabler or, that's for contemporary drama i guess going kind of to harvey dent yes playing the big bad and you think they're the big bad of the show the major antagonist and then it's not till the end you're like oh there's a boss and that's the real antagonist or you can have two antagonists Mm -hmm. fighting off each other 
can have two. And you can, if, if you keep them gray and they don't edge into evil, then you can have fun with them switching sides. Right. Which, that makes for good series. Yeah. Well, I was kind of thinking about that when you brought up, again, Once Upon a Time, but with Regina, like, I really liked her character, and I watched, I think, probably more seasons than you guys did, and yes, it was questionable sometimes. First, but first season was the best. It was The that. first season was definitely the best. Um, <laughs> but, like, it, it was always interesting to me to be, like, as she was becoming a good character, like... She did murder a lot of people in the story before <laughs> and freeze them there. I was like, but I guess I guess it's okay because that wasn't the real world. But like when I stopped to think about it, I'm like, but is it, it was real for her? Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like, hmm, how do you how do you do a redemption? Well, and then one of the most famous redemptions, Zuko from Avatar oh, I do Last love Air- Zuko is my favorite. Avatar Last Airbender, but someone was breaking down and they were talking about his uncle Iroh. They're like, the man was literally a war criminal. Mm. And now he's everyone's favorite uncle. Like well, Dalinar from uh, Stormlight Archive, right? The Way of Kings. Yeah. yeah. So it is just interesting to think about. But you can definitely do fun things like that with your antagonists. If and and that's part of you know giving them their own backstory and personality and why they do what they do, how yeah. they do what they do. Because I feel like there's some lines that you just don't get a comeback from. Yeah. Is like, it like killing dogs? Yep. <laughs> One of them. Good Station Eleven, that villain, they tried to have the redemption arc and I felt like he couldn't come Didn't back. Work. Yeah. You know, you strap bombs to children <laughs> and no. it's just no coming back there from that. No matter how much you make up with your mom. Yeah. So you are going to want to think about that with your antagonist, <laughs> what your plan for them is. But you want to know what? I would tell a writer to go too far. Yeah. It's easier to pull back mm. than to have a tepid antagonist. Mm. Yes. So hopefully you have good, trusted beta readers who understand the genre you're writing in right. who can say, you went too far with that one. That's just unreadable. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings up a really good point, actually. Like, your antagonist will probably change based on what genre you're writing in and, and what makes a good antagonist will is definitely going to be genre, maybe not specific, but mm-hmm. genre-related. Well, in oh, absolutely. Too, they need to follow the same themes as the rest of the story as mm. well. It's so. also how much of a metaphor your antagonist Ooh. is for your theme of the story. Right. So if your antagonist is a monster, guaranteed that monster's representing something, mm-hmm. some anxiety or dread the culture has. And so thematically they fit. But plenty of characters re- represent that as well. Yeah, that's a good point. They always bounce off each other. Well, another one that I always find compelling, too, are the char- are the antagonists that mean well, kind of going back mm. to the parents. Mm-hmm. But even I've read a couple of, like, best friends who are trying to, like, protect their friend, the protagonist. Yeah. But in doing that, they're, like, stifling them. And that's just, it's always hard because you know it comes from a place of care. And... I'd say that's the most common, especially when you do family dramas mm. or groups of friends. It is the friends and allies and brothers and sisters that end up serving the function of antagonist. So it's Amy who's the major antagonist in Little Women. Mm. She's the one right. who really, well, she throws Joe's manuscript <laughs> in the fire. That's something. How do you come back from <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah. You As a did, writer. Didn't she cut all of her hair or something? Oh, there yeah. was retaliation for that. Yeah. <laughs> what if you've made such a good good antagonist that your protagonist can't can't Keep overcome up. the obstacles? Like what how do you how do you strike that balance between 
It, again, depends on the genre. If you're writing a love story, the antagonist is the lover who's standing in the way of whatever it is the protagonist thinks they want, mm. when in fact what they really need is to follow the attraction and fall in love. Um, you want to have a great, strong antagonist. And I would never weaken, if you find your protagonist isn't in balance, I wouldn't weaken the antagonist. I would work on my protagonists mm. to make them more compelling and more dimensional. They should be the most dimensional character in the story. Right. And I would also double check too, because uh, sometimes you start out writing a story and then you don't discover who you're actually mm. writing about until halfway through. Absolutely. So maybe if if the antagonist is that much more compelling, check and see if you're writing about the wrong person. Absolutely. The most compelling character should be the lead. And we love anti-heroes. Yep. So if you start as an antagonist and then it gets rewritten so that person's put central that's a good story and then you could always go back and do the other one if you want to yes <laughs> that's a lot of rewriting well i was thinking like exactly yeah yeah like i've only read a few but a few books were like it's from different concurrent but yeah it's two separate books but like the same events from two different points of view i've always found interesting i love those in long form series like mm. Immortals After Dark, Cressley Cole, have you read them? She'll re-hit, each book is a couple. It's mm -hmm. paranormal romance. Nice. But she'll re-hit major events by seeing them in, from two entirely points of view in a different book, and it's always fun. I'm going to have to look for those, because that sounds... Very. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, so we talked about what makes a good antagonist. Oh, what makes yeah. a bad antagonist? Bad as in... You not well written. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not bad in the fun way. Yeah. Not not bad as good as in bad bad. As yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Any you know what's good for bad? <laughs> any character, but especially an antagonist, that the motivation isn't set up well, yeah. it ends up feeling like melodrama. You yes. can have any dastardly act as long as it's set up. If it's simply tying someone to train tracks mm -hmm. without motivation, that's where you get the, the mustache twirling yeah. mustache. <laughs> and yet terrible things can happen and be committed. And if they're properly motivated, right. you're along for the ride and buy it. Mm -hmm. um, any antagonist that's coming off one note. So... If your antagonist has a dominant trait, um, you always want to make sure that the opposite trait is also reflected at some point. So if the antagonist is mean or a bully, go simply. You have to find the situation, the person, the creature that brings out kindness hmm. so that you are getting dimensional characters. Do you have a rule of thumb for when you should do that? Because I've seen some shows who have like... Hold off a, one, a long time. Hold off a long time. And by the time they finally get to that point, a lot of times I don't buy it. I agree. I think you need to... You certainly are leading with the dominant trait. And then... But I would bring it in pretty soon, even if you don't tell us why. Hmm. If character hates dogs and yet there's one dog one ugly giant slobbery mutt that they're kind to you don't have to tell us why we're going to start filling it in we're going to wonder oh it reminds him of a childhood dog or something like that oh i was going to say one of the villains that i also thought was set up well this was a tv series as well so they had a little more time but it was wilson fisk and daredevil mm. they 
in the Netflix series specifically. I think they're coming out with a Disney version. I haven't seen it yet. I do not speak for that. But <laughs> but the thing, um, it's it's a comic book story. Daredevil is a comic book hero, and usually Wilson Fisk is Wilson Fisk is the kingpin. Um, and so he's just this big burly dude and he's usually like beating people up and he's super strong and he's, he kind of tends to be one note, but what the Netflix series did, well, and comic book readers might check me on that, but in the cartoons that I saw in the nineties, he was typically one note. Um, but what the Netflix series did is they showed him trying to be a businessman Mm. and he was trying to be a businessman. He was trying to like help the community. He's like, I grew up in hell's kitchen and I hated how everything was and I'm going to like make everything better. That's how they started him. But in episode, I believe it was two or three, like we didn't even see him in episode one. I think we heard about him in episode two, episode three, we see him being this gentleman by the end of it. He loses his temper and takes a man's head off with a car door. Oh, yeah, that's when I stopped watching. (laughs) Ooh, that's creative. And, but then after that, he's the gentleman again. Mm. So they showed, like, this one moment of super violence. And then he went back to being the businessman. But every time after that, every time someone had bad news to deliver him, I was just like, That's oh, great. No. Oh, no. Unpredictable <laughs> nature that yeah. makes it, it just makes him scarier. Yeah. But the second the mask is ripped off. Yeah. But I think that that was like within the first three episodes of like a nine to ten episode mm-hmm. series. So I feel like that was early and it just ramped the tension up so much for the rest of the series and then because you knew what he was capable of early that Mm. made you afraid of him yeah we're used to dimensional humans that don't operate on one mo and so you can introduce the alternative trait pretty early on and we can handle it it doesn't change our perception of the character it simply deepens it Mm. and makes the character feel more real well unfortunately we're out of time but uh this has been a great discussion of antagonists and i i think um i guess the obvious question for our listeners is who are your favorite antagonists and villains let us know at our socials and thanks for being with us kat thank you for having me thanks for taking a break from the conference and chatting with us fun conference stay sharp friends stay sharp my friends We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Writing Forge, a Writing Heights podcast brought to you by Nagano Press. To learn more about The Writing Forge, check out our social links in the episode description. Subscribe to The Writing Forge wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review. For more informational writing content, be sure to become a Writing Heights member.